Section 39 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 12 Control of Disorder, Part 2 The Use of Force justification of deadly force there are at least three serious problems involved in the use of deadly weapons in a civil disorder the first is the risk of killing or wounding innocent persons bystanders or passers-by who may in fact be hundreds of feet away when a shot is fired the second is the justification for the use of deadly force against looting or vandalism are bullets the correct response to offenses of this sort? Major General George Gelston told the Commission, I am not going to order a man killed for stealing a six-pack of beer or a television set. Instead, he said, a non-lethal tear gas can stop any looting. The third problem is that the use of excessive force, even the inappropriate display of weapons, may be inflammatory and lead to even worse disorder. As the FBI Riot Control Manual states, the basic rule when applying force is to use only the minimum force necessary to effectively control the situation. Unwarranted application of force will incite the mob to further violence as well as kindle seeds of resentment for the police that in turn could cause a riot to recur. Ill-advised and excessive application of force will not only result in charges of police brutality, but may also prolong the disturbance. Such counsel with respect to disorders accords with the clearly established legal and social principle of minimum use of force by police. The major difficulty in dealing with all these problems, however, is the limited choice still presented to police in mass disorders, to use too much force or too little. The police who faced the New York riot of 1863 were equipped with two weapons, a wooden stick and a gun. For the most part, the police faced with urban disorders last summer had to rely on two weapons, a wooden stick and a gun. Our police departments today require a middle range of physical force with which to restrain and control illegal behavior more humanely and more effectively. Alternatives to Deadly Force The dilemma regarding force has endured for more than a century for two reasons. One is that police are inhibited from using even the new tools which have been developed. The second is that the improvement and perfection of these tools are proceeding far too slowly. As pointed out in the supplement, fear of public reaction and other policy considerations have tended to inhibit police use of non-lethal chemical agents in civil disorders. The U.S. Army, on the other hand, relies heavily on the use of CS, a chemical agent, for controlling riots. The Army has found it to be both much more effective and safer than the more traditional tear gas CN. The use of CS is prescribed in the standard military sequence of force prior to the employment of any lethal firearms. 
Moreover, new developments now make it possible to use chemical agents selectively against individuals and small groups with minimum danger to innocent persons. Thus, the understandable concern of many police and public officials as to the wisdom of using massive amounts of gas in a densely populated area need no longer prove a barrier. The value and effectiveness of chemical agents in restoring law and order with minimum danger to lives and property is also attested to by the FBI's Riot Control Manual. Chemical agents can negate the numerical superiority the mob has over the police force. They are the most effective and most humane means of achieving a temporary neutralization of a mob with minimum of personal injury. The Commission recommends that in suppressing disorder, the police, whenever possible, follow the example of the U.S. Army in requiring the use of chemical agents before the use of deadly weapons. The experience of many police forces has demonstrated, however, that the value and community acceptance of new non-lethal methods may be jeopardized if police officers employ them in an indiscriminate way. In some of the cities we studied, reports of the improper use of some chemical weapons by individual police officers have led to charges that these weapons are brutalizing and demeaning. To assure public confidence and prevent misuse, police administrators should issue clear guidelines on where and how police may employ such control measures. The Commission has received many suggestions for other non-lethal control equipment. Distinctive marking dyes or odors and the filming of rioters have been recommended both to deter and positively identify persons guilty of illegal acts. Sticky tapes, adhesive blobs, and liquid foam are advocated to immobilize or block rioters. Intensely bright lights and loud distressing sounds capable of creating temporary disability may prove to be useful technology will provide still other tools. There is need for additional experience and evaluation before the police and the public can be reasonably assured that these control innovations meet the performance and safety standards required for use in civilian communities. The Commission believes, however, that the urgent need for some non-lethal alternatives requires immediate attention and federal support. We discuss this further in the supplement. COMMUNITY ASSISTANCE IN DISORDER CONTROL Commission studies have shown that in a number of instances, both police and other responsible civil authorities were forced to make decisions without adequate facts, in an atmosphere charged by rumor. Police administrators consulted by the Commission emphasized the importance of employing trained police intelligence officers to collect, evaluate, and disseminate information. The use of undercover police officers, reliable informants, and the assignment of police personnel to provide fast, accurate, on-the-scene reports were all cited as essential. During the early stage of a disorder, when lawlessness is still relatively restricted, the cooperation and assistance of Negro leaders and other community residents with a common interest in the maintenance of order can be extremely valuable. They can provide the police with the kind of pertinent and reliable information essential for decision-making during the disorder 
many agencies and organizations in the area public and private have valuable contacts and channels of communication these can also serve as important information resources in some cities counter-rioters have played an important role in dampening disturbance volunteers have assisted in restoring order by patrolling their neighborhoods and trying independently to persuade others to go home sometimes local authorities have actively recruited ghetto residents to perform these missions the commission believes that mayors and police chiefs should recognize and assess carefully the potential benefit such efforts can sometimes provide restoring the peace in a way that will earn public support and confidence the larger question however whether police should withdraw from the disorder area and let community leaders and forces seek to cool the rioting raises a number of critical issues the first and most important is whether by so doing the police are abdicating their basic responsibility to maintain order and protect lives and property some police administrators are deeply convinced that it is a dereliction of duty for police to delegate complete authority to individuals or groups who lack legal responsibility in their judgment such an action creates the danger of vigilante groups the commission shares this concern a sanctioned control group could use its position to intimidate or terrorize also those who come forward to discourage rioting may have no influence with the rioters if they fail they may well blame officials creating new enforcement problems the commission believes that only the mayor who has the ultimate responsibility for the welfare and safety of the community can with the advice of the police administrator make the critical judgment the role of public officials the commission believes incidents are less likely to escalate into larger violence if ghetto residents know they have effective political channels of protest we discussed formal grievance outlets at length in the preceding chapters here we are particularly concerned with the role of the mayor or city manager and police chief civil disorders are fundamental governmental problems not simply police matters as the chief elected official the mayor must take ultimate responsibility for all governmental action in times of disorder to make this meaningful he must have the corresponding authority and control he must become fully involved in disorder planning and operations he must understand the nature of the problems posed by a disorder the strategy of response and field operations in some cities mayors have taken the view that disorders were entirely police matters this represents a failure to accept a fundamental responsibility the unwillingness of a mayor to become personally involved and to negotiate grievances with local residents may cut off a vital outlet for peaceful protest similarly police chiefs should understand this responsibility and should involve the mayor in their planning activities and operations only regular participation by the mayor in police problems in cold winters as well as hot summers will educate both the mayor and the police as to the mutually reinforcing nature of their relationship parallel responsibilities exist at the state level 
governors and other civilian officials with responsibility over state law enforcement activities such as attorneys general have an obligation to supervise planning and operations for civil disorders one of the most important responsibilities of local officials is to maintain close personal contact with the ghetto the importance of creating channels of communication with ministers with community organizations with negro leaders including young activists and militants cannot be overestimated given such contacts officials become more sensitive to ghetto reactions to particular episodes and frictions they also create acquaintanceships which can be used to help alleviate tensions that might otherwise heighten as the riot profiles indicate in a number of the disorders studied by the commission efforts were made to respond to grievances in some instances negro leaders took the initiative in others mayors and state officials did so in new brunswick for example discussion alleviated tension and led to a peaceful settlement often the determination of civilian officials especially the mayor to seek out these opportunities may be decisive in avoiding violence having determined that it will try to resolve its problems by political means the city must then decide with whom to negotiate often a difficult question large meetings open to the general public or small meetings limited to established older negro leaders were rarely found to be effective city officials are often faced with a fragmented negro community if they have failed to keep open broad channels of communication city officials will have great difficulty identifying leaders with sufficient influence to get through to those on the streets even after contacts are made negotiations may be extremely difficult younger militant leaders are often distrustful of city government fearful of compromising their militancy or their leadership by allying themselves too closely with the power structure particularly when that structure may have nothing to deliver civil disorders require the maximum coordination of the activities of all governmental agencies such cooperation can only be brought about by the chief executive examples are joint operations by the police and fire departments mutual assistance agreements with neighboring communities and state and federal assistance these problems are discussed in the supplement danger of overreaction emergencies are anticipated in police planning they range from natural threats like floods and storms to man-made incidents like the recent disorders until 1964, most civil disorders were regarded as difficult but basically manageable police problems of an essentially local nature. The events of the last few summers, however, particularly the events of 1967, have radically changed this view. Disturbances in densely populated, predominantly Negro areas, which might earlier have been labeled brawls, became characterized as riots with racial overtones a national climate of tension and fear developed particularly in cities with large negro populations were relatively minor incidents inflated or escalated into serious disturbances did such inflation result from overly aggressive law enforcement action 
did it stem from unwarranted fears on the part of the ghetto community precise answers are impossible what can be said however is that there was widespread misunderstanding and exaggeration of what did occur the most notable example is the belief widely held across the country last summer that riot cities were paralyzed by sniper fire of twenty-three cities surveyed by the commission there had been reports of sniping in at least fifteen what is probable although the evidence is fragmentary is that there was at least some sniping what is certain is that the amount of sniping attributed to rioters by law enforcement officials as well as the press was highly exaggerated according to the best information available to the commission most reported sniping incidents were demonstrated to be gunfire by either the police or national guardsmen the climate of fear and expectation of violence created by such exaggerated sometimes totally erroneous reports demonstrates the serious risks of overreaction and excessive use of force in particular the commission is deeply concerned that in their anxiety to control disorders some law enforcement agencies may resort to indiscriminate repressive use of force against wholly innocent elements of the negro community the injustice of such conduct and its abrasive effects would be incalculable elected officials police and national guard officials must take effective steps to prevent false assessments and the tragic consequences that could follow this will require improved communications it will require reliable intelligence about ghetto problems and incidents it will require equally assurance of steadfast discipline among control personnel funding of recommendations for prevention and control of disorder many of the recommendations in this and the preceding chapter will be costly studies of police practices intensified recruitment of negro officers increased planning and training for disorder control all would impose heavy financial burdens on communities already hard-pressed by the increasing costs of their present systems of criminal justice the commission recommends that the federal government bear a part of this burden federal funding need not and should not in any way infringe on the principle of local law enforcement authority the federal government already finances a variety of law enforcement assistance programs without such infringement the department of justice provides direct grants for research planning and demonstration through the office of law enforcement assistance and the fbi conducts training programs for state and local police officers the department of health education and welfare administers juvenile delinquency control programs and educational grants for law enforcement studies the department of labor helps pay for police cadet training programs the office of economic opportunity assists in police community relations activities we commend and endorse these efforts but we believe more federal financial assistance is needed such assistance should take two forms first in this chapter the preceding one and in the supplement we specifically recommend federal funding for certain programs community service officers development of portable communications equipment a national clearinghouse for training information 
and non-lethal weapons development. Second, we also believe that more federal support is necessary to help local communities improve the overall quality of their criminal justice systems. With the Crime Commission, we believe that the federal government can make a dramatic new contribution to the national effort against crime by greatly expanding its support of the agencies of justice in the states and in the cities. These remarks are in no way intended to excuse local governments from their financial responsibilities. Improved law enforcement at the local level, including increased capacity to prevent and control civil disorders, is possible only if local citizens are willing to put their tax money where their desires are. But this commission believes that not even the most devoted and willing community can succeed by acting alone. Only the federal government is in a position to provide expertise, conduct and evaluate comprehensive test programs, and pay for the large capital investment necessary to develop experimental programs and new equipment. The Crime Commission outlined a broad program of federal funding, advice, and assistance to meet major criminal justice needs. It estimated that in the next decade, several hundred million dollars could be profitably spent each year on this program. The increased demands imposed on law enforcement agencies by the recent disorders have intensified the urgency and increased the cost of such a program. Nevertheless, 14 months have now passed since the Crime Commission's exhaustive study and recommendations. Thirteen months have passed since the President first urged the Congress to enact such a program. That urgent request was renewed by the President in his public safety message on February 7, 1968. No final action has yet been taken. It should be taken, and taken promptly. Because law enforcement is a local responsibility, whatever legislation is adopted should permit direct grants to municipal governments. Funding should be at least as high as that requested by the President in his message. End of section thirty nine. Recording by Maria Casper.